0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is an audiobook producer and editor who is widely considered the final word when it comes to recording audiobooks using Studio One software from Presonus. Don Barnes, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Hey, Rich. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Oh, great, great, great.
0: Good. Glad to hear it. What are you drinking tonight?
1: Well, I'm such a lightweight. Uh, (laughs) That's all right. Cheap dates are fun. Trader Joe's. Yeah, wait till you hear this. Okay. Now, if you had caught me with this when I was, say, 30, I would have said, oh, well, that guy's a wimp. But uh, Trader Joe's white tea with pomegranate. I right. believe that combined with lemon, ginger, echinacea, they're, uh, they're juice. And over the years, I've graduated. Uh, my wife's kind of a health nut. And um, so, green tea, or this is white tea, white tea and juice is is what I'm drinking. And uh, white kinda, tea
0: and juice sounds, yeah. sounds perfect. <laughs> Sounds great. They make great tea here in the speakeasy. I've heard that from many people now.
1: <laughs> well, and uh, I did when I was a young guy playing music, people used to buy us drinks all the time. And uh, I, so today I'm a very moderate drinker. I'll drink, you know, wine. I drink some mixed drinks occasionally, but mm-hmm. but minimal because I thought I thought I was a really good musician when I was a young guy. We'll probably talk about some of this later, but uh, people would buy you drinks
0: and sure,
1: yeah. oh, hey, as a young guy, Hey, they're free. Cool. Bring <laughs> one. And, uh, but we would, we'd record the band once a week. And, uh, one day I heard the recording of myself when I thought, boy, this would be great. I was so excited about the night and how it went and how we sounded. And then I heard myself and it was terrible. And this, and I, this it, was
0: after a few drinks.
1: This was after too many drinks, free yeah. drinks in a bar. And, um, what at that point, I almost went cold turkey, at least from while working, you know, audio and, or, sure, you know, no, I not. was a musician because I just said, wow, that's terrible. But I thought it was so good. So anyway, I, I, I love a good drink. I just uh, not not during the day if I'm doing other things.
0: Not a problem. That that story actually reminds me of uh, I worked on a film one time in independent film. It was a feature, but it was independent and uh-huh. i was talking to the director and there was a scene where i was in a club and you know dancing with somebody and i said something about oh that's great we can have drinks and he said no no alcohol on the set and i was and he was a really easygoing mellow kind of guy and i'm all whoa what what brought that on and he said <laughs> i did that once i was yeah. i was shooting a short And it was a house party. And I thought, well, this is great. So we can actually have people, you know, have beers and drinks and whatever they want. Loosen people up. It'll make the dialogue easier. This will be great. He said it was the worst shoot that he had had at that point because it it just shut everybody down. Everybody just got, you know, I guess mellow enough to where they forgot they were acting. And he said it was just terrible. So he said, never again. Nobody will ever drink on my set ever again. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs)
1: And it happens, you know. So socially, I mean, I still, I definitely have a drink socially and all that. So sure, yeah. Uh, but while working, and I, I learned to drink tea and a uh, little bit of coffee. I'm a very, very moderate coffee drinker, but uh, not not in the afternoon evening. No, so.
0: well, I understand. Well, <laughs> I am having a drink in the evening, and uh, I'm joining you tonight with a Gibson. Uh, I right. don't have Gibsons too often. I'm not, I'm not even sure if they even make them in bars anymore because I can't remember actually seeing cocktail onions in the little thing that they have all the olives and and wedges and everything else in, but uh, you can still get cocktail onions at the at the store. So I get a jar and every once in a while I have a Gibson.
1: Now, but not everyone knows what a Gibson is, like me. So okay. what is in a Gibson?
0: I'm sorry. So a Gibson is basically just a martini. However, mm-hmm. however you like to make it with whatever ratio you like of gin and vermouth. And then okay. instead of olives, your garnish is a cocktail onion.
1: Okay. So, now, I mean, I've seen those when I used to work in the bars, like the cocktail onions and something mm-hmm. in a glass. I didn't know what it was. So that's yeah. really
0: so, so that that's a Gibson. Um, of course, it varies how many you want. Normally, when I get a martini, it's either two or three olives. If I'm having a Gibson, it's usually three onions. Um, and everybody's got different opinions on the ratio. Oh no, you can't have too much vermouth. Oh no, you got to have more vermouth. So, you know, whatever whatever ratio you like, I say is the drink that you should drink.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for coming in. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. You too. All right. So, uh, so Don, where are you from?
1: I grew up in Detroit, well, a suburb of Detroit. I say it's Detroit, but I kind of like uh, most people, I didn't live right in downtown Detroit. About thirty-five minutes ish south of Detroit, in the pretty close. We'll just call it the the not elite part of town.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: right? <laughs> now, you know, because I thought I thought we were middle class, and uh, and I never knew we were quote poor uh, until I you know became an adult, and moved out, and said, oh gosh, where I live was not. The elite part of town, you know, I mean, but I didn't know. I didn't it, care.
0: Isn't that funny how you never know those things? It all depends on yeah. how your parents frame it.
1: And my parents, you know, I had a single mom and, um, uh, my dad's been gone a long time. Uh, I mean, you know, decades, 40, 40 decades now, or no 44 decades yeah. now. <laughs> and, uh, so my mom was a single mom with two kids and, um, you know, we, our cars were breaking down all the time. There was, there seemed to be enough food. I don't remember going hungry. I don't remember ever feeling deprived. So she never let us let on to the fact that, you know, well, we're just hanging on by the, you know, mm-hmm. pennies. And we were out of money at the end of every month by a week or so or four days or three days. And, yep. You know, but that's okay. I mean, that was just, it, it was fine. I, if you hadn't told me I was poor, I never would have known. And I didn't, it was, I had a great upbringing. So no yeah, complaint no,
0: I, I, I totally hear you on that. I found out when I was much older that, that same kind of thing happened with with my parents. I don't think they were quite that bad off, but but actually sort of because I heard the story later on that about five days before the end of the month, my dad worked for the state of California, and he only got paid once a month. Oh. And, and for years, about five days before the end of the month, my mom would go to her dad and say, yeah. can, can you loan us 20 bucks just till the end of the month? And he, right. was, he was happy to do it. It wasn't a problem. Yeah. So yeah. he would loan him the 20 bucks. She would pay it back. And a month later, she'd go back and borrow some more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that time. kept that kept him going for for years and years. And I never realized either. You know, my dad um, took a couple of moonlighting jobs. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fun because one of the jobs that he was working was at a concession stand in a drive-in theater. And I thought, oh. this is great. We would go in and we would get to see the movie. And then we'd go get to see dad at the concession stand when we went <laughs> to go buy popcorn, right? I, yeah. I figured out later, I thought back on that at some point when I was, I don't know, maybe in my twenties. And I thought, holy cow, this is a yeah. guy, this is a professional man who had a, a regular day job and he was working at a concession stand. And, and it all of a sudden, you know, even though I, I always loved my parents, it's like my respect went way up. Cause it's like, oh, holy yeah. cow, you, you do what you have to do, right? You've got a family yeah. and you do what you have yep. to do to make ends meet. So yeah, I, anyway, yeah, I, so
1: my, that was, that was my mom too. It's the same thing that she, t- she went back on a house payment when I was probably 30. She was just hanging out. I mean, 13, 13, 14. I wanted to play hockey and equipment was expensive. Oh, yeah. So she went and told some banker, kiss off. I'm going to, and you could do this back in those days. In a sense, you could go into your banker and talk to him. Right. Somehow she told him she just wasn't going to make a house payment and she was going to be behind by one for You know, whatever. I don't know what time. I don't know if she ever caught up, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she didn't pay the house payment so that I could play hockey. And, you know, now I think as a parent, I have five kids. Wow. uh, I couldn't go to my bank and say, hey, listen, I'm going back a house payment because, you know, I mean, I guess I could. But it's, but it's one of those parent sacrifice things that you just don't realize until you have your own kids. So yeah.
0: No, you don't, like, you don't see it when you're that age and and yep. that's to, to the credit of the parents to you know yes. not make that apparent. So, yeah. So that's that great. Would... So, so you grew up outside of Detroit. Um, where, did you grow up your, your whole childhood there?
1: Yeah. I lived a uh, pretty, I mean, you know, I moved, I think, I don't know, we were three to five, three years old when I moved there and then I was there until I was 21.
0: Oh, okay. So, so, so full time there. Did you go to school yep. out there?
1: I did it begin with, I, you know, went through regular school and then uh, afterward I went to college and I went to an urban college cause we couldn't really afford anything else. I went to Wayne state university mm-hmm. and I was taking a, I was a music major at Wayne state university. I did double, I was working on a double major music and business, uh, but music was the passion. So that's what I was you know, doing the most of there at Wayne state.
0: That's great. Did you actually get a music degree?
1: No. Well, but what happened was, uh, my second year there. I, uh, Al Jarreau was touring. Now, some of you are old enough to
0: know who Al Jarreau was, oh, but yeah. he, he was big back then.
1: Yeah. So Al Jarreau came through town and I was a young musician. I had been studying with a guy who had been, had gone to Juilliard and was a Motown session player. So I went to watch Al Jarreau and I went to the sound check and at the sound check, there was a guy named Alex Acuna who had played, uh, in a famous jazz group called weather report. Oh yeah. And I remember he, that name too. And I was young, you know, and back in those days, this was to be the late '70s, uh, right in a, right about 1980-ish. I went to a sound check, knowing that there would be no security in those days, and I just walked in. It was an outdoor amphitheater that they were playing in. I walked in, sat down, listened to the whole sound check, and then introduced myself. And this guy encouraged me to come out to LA, and uh, that ended up, you know, changing my life. By him saying, hey, you know, you should go study with these musicians. And I ended up coming out to L.A. and going to something called Music uh, Musician's Institute. And uh, that's where I ended up graduating from as a musician. So
0: That's great. So I don't know what they I'm, I'm not familiar with Musician's Institute. It sounds vaguely familiar. I think that when I was living in L.A. Um, back when I was going to college, I may have heard of them, but I don't know what they do. So is it a regular like a, a B.A. or a B.S. kind of degree or is it yeah. uh, something else? Well,
1: when I was there, it was more of a, of a vocational
0: school. Okay, teach you how to today, be a working a, musician.
1: Yeah, today it is a fully accredited... I don't know, they have a four-year program and you get a degree and they're accredited and that kind of, I mean, so they evolved. When I started, they were just newish. Um, they started off as Guitar Institute of Tech. So some people may have heard of GIT. And then the, the year that I ended up going they started PIT, Percussion Institute of Tech. And they were, they had for bass and singers and, but, um, but they hired these famous session players that were playing on kind of all sorts of hit records and movies and TV to be in the drum department. I was the second, the second class that graduated from there. You know, they started every six months, a new class. And I was in the second one uh, just because I met this guy and he encouraged me to come out and you know I started with him. And so works out really well.
0: That's great. So when you were doing uh, at at Wayne uh, Wayne State, what mm-hmm. were you doing in terms of music?
1: Uh, they had, of course, like all good colleges, they had a great jazz band. Um, also, when you're studying music and you're a young musician, they also have this thing called ear training. Uh, we had an ear training lab, and so I would go into this lab and they had cassette tapes. And uh, I don't know if you remember cassette tapes. Oh yes. Yeah. Quite, you're younger than me, but quite it's okay. Well. I I
0: uh-huh. doubt that I'm much younger than you from the dates that you're talking about. I know all of all of the stuff you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Contemporaries.
1: So we would go in and um, but I don't even know if they were cassettes at that point. I don't think they were. I, they were cartridges of some sort. You would take these things in and you'd go and they would be playing you two two notes uh, if you're a musician There would be two notes at different intervals and you would say oh that's a third that's a fifth that's a Mm -hmm. and you'd have to write down on these little sheets and essentially you were listening in order to identify sounds and because you can't see the sounds you need to practice listening to them yeah and so so as a young musician I, i was taking piano classes and of course i was taking drums that was my specialty or that was what i wanted to be but i knew to be a good musician It really is helpful if you understand some of the other instruments no matter what instrument you play oh absolutely yeah and so 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 anyways i was taking music classes but music theory ear training uh they also had a great jazz band and i was you know in the jazz band and of course that's what i like to do and um so study of music music theory and then i was taking business classes i ended up actually doing some programming there. I took uh, computer science and punch cards for those few. For like your two listeners <laughs> who are old enough to remember, you know the Fred Flintstone Stone Age of computers. The the university had a uh, timeshare. Uh, it's not called timeshare. Uh, I don't remember was time something. Anyways, you you take your punch cards down. You'd hand them in, and you sure, come back yeah. a day later. You, you've got go.
0: the yeah. You've got the a certain amount of time that you're allowed yeah. to to yeah. to work in there. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> when I was so in I was, college, man. it was it was just after the punch card era. Um, we did have a, a mainframe in the school, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But then I did take a job later on and mm-hmm. they were they were still using punch cards in, well into the 80s it, and oh, they wow. stopped using them right before I started working for them in uh, i think it was 89 uh, uh, 90 yeah, yeah. Some, something like yep. that but yep. they were using them for a long time and they were using uh tape backups as well yep. like you know full-size tape so yeah i, I remember those days uh, even if uh so if i'm younger <laughs> it's not by much uh so <laughs> yeah. the, the music thing sounds great and i i couldn't agree more on learning other instruments as well and how good that is i always thought that the piano was mm-hmm. a great foundation yes. for like all kinds everything. of music, yeah, everything. for everything. everything. You, you learn the rhythm really well, yep. um, and all all the different intervals, like you were talking about, thirds and fourths and fifths and whatnot. That sounds like great training. Is you know, you hear something and you have to identify it. Yeah, you you'd better be able to do that if you want to, you know, move forward in the music industry.
1: Yeah, and now now before I moved to L.A., what you know, so my mom's poor. One of the things that she started doing when I was uh, fourteen, she started taking me to private drum lessons. Um, and now I look back, this was a half hour drive one way where we had to go to this place. Wow. And, uh, and, but she was trying to keep me out of trouble and later told me the one thing about practicing drums, cause I have an adult son now who, when he was home here, he's, he's moved out. He was, he wants to, he, he plays drums. He actually has my set mm-hmm. and he's, He's 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 now better than I am. <laughs> it's just not a big you know that's not a big bar anymore. No, but a, that's always what
0: like, you want for your kids. Yes, right? yeah. absolutely.
1: I saw on Facebook this this photo of my drum set. This is my son, and I realized, wow, that looks a lot like my drum. Well, <laughs> over the years, he's and and rightly so, he makes great use of this forty-year-old set that I have. That's a killer set. Anyway, that's great. So my mom was taking took me to this uh this place, and. She was sacrificing. I didn't realize what a half-hour drive would cost in terms of gas and and the other thing, and that got me started. You know, working with a guy who really, really knew music, and so a little later, I my mom wanted me. She could hear me practicing, so she could go to a neighbor's house, literally three doors down, and she could hear me practicing. Mm-hmm. And and so I, with my adult son, when he'd practice, I'm thinking how did my mom put up with a young drummer? (laughs) Okay, it I'm not going to say it's miserable, but I'm surprised how miserable it can be as the parent if your child is learning to play drums and it's so loud and obnoxious. And But three doors down, she'd go visit a neighbor to to chill out a little bit. She knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, she also allowed me, you know, I, I, I was employed by then and working at a local electronics store which had a really high-end stereo system and a stereo department. Like uh, Best Buys now have their theater room. Some oh, of them are sure, yeah. high-end. Well, this place called Lafayette Radio Electronics. I don't think it exists anymore. But they had a really high-end stereo room back in the day. And uh, I started working there when I was 15. And it turned out that they, the couple of the guys there wanted to start a little recording studio. They had saved up some money. And my mom graciously allowed them to use our basement
0: wow what a great thing for you
1: yeah so i ended up with all this really high-end gear back when i didn't understand anything about high-end gear and um i had a macintosh tube amp if anybody knows what those are that's a i mean it was just killer killer stuff TX four-track reel-to-reel um equipment that when you see it is pretty wild and stuff that it's somebody at, you know, 17, 18, nobody, I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to afford it, but these other guys didn't have a location. So my mom providing the location meant that I'm around all this absolutely killer gear and we had, and it's kind of crazy. I'm embarrassed by this, but we called it basement sound. And nice. I look back and go, well, you guys were just full of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it never bothered me that, you know, you could nickname it BS sound, but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it was in the basement, my mom's house and, uh, had all this great recording gear and it was kind of what I cut my teeth on before Because the other thing in parallel with going to, uh, Wayne state, I took a recording class from, uh, from some ex Motown engineers. Motown was just moving to LA at that point, And there was a bunch of people who had worked at Motown that started their own studios and their own recording. I don't know what it is. I think it's called recording Institute of America, but I don't, don't quote me on that because okay. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they had this whole summer class that you could take it was a three-month recording class and i go wow yeah let's go do that because i I have all this great gear i didn't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. and i go in and um take this three-month class i'm probably the youngest kid in the class because everyone else a little older than me but they hired me afterward because i did you know i was a nut so i did well enough and uh i was the gopher and ended up learning about recording from these guys that were ex-Motown engineers.
0: Yeah, clearly it, clearly they could see that you had a passion for this.
1: I was pretty fascinated by it. Yeah, you know? no doubt. You no, know? And um, when what they ended up doing, though, that, that I look back and go, why would you teach me this? I mean, I didn't understand it directly. But it turned out that they had a Neumann lathe. And they taught me how to cut master records. Oh, and, wow. Uh, so I got to operate anointment. I have someplace in a box. I've got to find it. I've moved many times since then. And I never thought it was that important, but I have a record that's labeled. The guy gave it to me. It said, Don's first record that doesn't skip. Okay? <laughs> and it's, it's a, he put it on this red velvet background. And and I kind of can see it in my mind, but I know it's in some box someplace. I just have to go find it. Yeah. But he started me on this path. He would say, oh, that's going to skip there. And I'd go, how, how, how do you know that's going to skip there? You know, because we hadn't played it back yet. He'd say, well, you can hear the needle ride over on the right-hand side. What? And then he would start telling me about, you know, hey, listen to it this way. Listen to it that way. And he kind of got me started with this adventure of listening, even before I was in college and did doing that ear training stuff, was how to listen to things critically. Critically, and yeah. How to, and and that's kind of different from just, quote, listening. Sure, uh, yeah. So, Anyway, that was, that's,
0: that's great. So that was kind of your entrance into audio engineering.
1: Yeah. Well, at, in, in basement sound, mm-hmm. you know, I was the, I was the primary engineer and, uh, but then I, you know, I knew I didn't know anything. Even, it, even as a kid, you kind of, I knew that. So then I take this class. Well, then I really knew I didn't know anything by the time I got hired because these other engineers would be talking about stuff. And I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that all the time cause it was just too embarrassing, but there are some things they said that took me five or 10 years before I, Oh, that's what he's talking about. And I was the gopher. Mm-hmm. I would do patch cords and there's things called patch bays back then. And, um, I would, I would, he, they would show me stuff and I would learn it and I would just do whatever they needed. I was the youngest, you know, hey, whatever I'll do it. Sure. Sure. sure and sure. you're,
0: and you're soaking up everything that you're hearing and yeah, talk about.
1: and, Probably the biggest thing that happened for that is that I was exposed to <laughs> crazy high-end uh, monitor speakers and they would and then they would play they so they'd be playing music and playing vocals on these $20,000 speakers. And then they would also play it on this $15 speaker. It's like, "What? Oh, well a lot of us music's played in cars. You have to be able to hear it what it's going to sound like, you know, in its perfect state, in its mm-hmm. what we intend." And then also, this is how a lot of people are going to listen to it on this on this little cheapo fifteen dollars speaker here. So we need to make sure it works on both. Yeah,
0: sounds a lot like audiobooks. Trying to get it's it, exactly. trying to get it perfect in your in your seventy five oh sixes, and then yep. you know most people are listening to it in crappy Apple earbuds.
1: They are, and those earbuds. Um, so hey, if somebody's mastering their audiobooks. Don't use the crappy earbuds. You do want to know about those and know how it's going to sound, but don't 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 think that you should master on those or listen back on those as right. your reference. You know, right? Just it's,
0: good good to know what the end user is going to be using.
1: Yes. Oh, and you definitely need to test on more than one thing. If it sounds great in my room, uh, that's great. Okay, but I don't I don't master it for me the audiobooks. I do know what the ref I have reference monitors so that helps. Mm-hmm. But that is, but but I'm not trying to make it sound perfect on my monitors. I'm trying to make it the best compromise so it sounds the best across a range of systems. And there's some things I I mean I cut out some high end as an example because I know it's not going to make it through to the end. Right, right. Well, if you're recording music, I'd never do that. I would I we'd shoot somebody if they take out the kind of things we take out of an audio book <laughs> because but you know that audible is going to get rid of a certain amount of uh information in the in the in our audiobook so i just say hey you know let's cut it out early on so i am at least have i'm closer to what people are going to be hearing in the final stages
0: right right so so speaking of audiobooks so you're <laughs> a musician you start you start doing audio engineering how long was it before you got into audiobooks
1: uh forever
0: I've had so, multiple
1: careers. I mean, it, it, in between, you know, I made my living as a musician, as a young guy. Then I ended up having a larger family, uh, through, through absolutely perfect planning. I highly recommend, <laughs> um, or no, I didn't, I did not set out to have five children, but <laughs> over time I did. And, uh, I can show you the spreadsheet from when I was about 12 where I master plan the whole thing, <laughs> uh, in Excel.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just like no, the rest uh, of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: So as the family grew uh, to a certain size, my income as a musician wasn't keeping up. So I took a second job and then I, I made a lot more money at a lot of these other things. And uh, over time, I've had multiple careers and I did some software development in the you know my 30s and so some other things. So I got to be, I actually, uh, one of my hobbies was I learned to dance in my 40s because I had watched tens of thousands of people dance at different things i had played at over the years and i kept saying dancing looks like fun but man i'm the worst dancer in north america here and (laughs) consistent with most other musicians by the way i don't know if you've noticed but musicians are among the worst dancers
0: i had i was not aware of that no
1: well statistically and some of it i now know why i mean you you sit and watch dancing but you don't do it and in high school i was playing the music watching other people dance and there is a certain experience factor that you do have to have and uh, musicians don't have that and then immediately they know whatever they're doing with their bodies don't match the feel (laughs) of music so they're self-conscious and of course just the final aside on that musicians uh playing any musical instrument is all an exercise in very fine muscle control if you play piano it's all about how your fingers and wrists and Finesse comes from extremely fine muscle control, and oh, yeah. many musicians learn not to move the rest of their body because there's so much going on with these very fine muscles. And then when they get to dancing, it's like, oh, wait a minute, that all goes out the window. You can't just sit there. You actually move. So
0: That's great. Up. I'm going to use that from now on. The reason that I can't dance is because I learned how to play the piano. I love yeah. it. I'm, I'm going to use yeah. that.
1: <laughs> well, and it's really, but and, and you'll see... It's a different thing, and if you practiced, because you know how to practice, if you can play piano, you can learn to dance. So I, um, over time, because I knew the music so well, famous dancers here in L.A. would start asking me to help them with the, the music aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so I got involved with some high-profile dancers in terms of helping them hear the music better, because they could dance well, but they don't hear the music as well. So we would trade lessons and things like that. And I was doing, I ended up, uh, I have been teaching since I've been about 17 because my drum instructor hated working with beginners. So after I worked with him for about three years, he started teaching me how to teach and he'd give me beginning students and I would teach them. After about a year, year and a half, he would take them over at that point. And uh, at the end of my day, I would take a lesson from him. And so I've been, you know, kind of coaching and teaching since I've been a That's young guy. That's great.
0: That's great that he would trust you with that.
1: Well, you know, I was passionate about it and he he could see sure. I really wanted to learn everything about it. And so he was he was teaching me. And um, it turned out, though, at one point after dancing for about five years, I was doing a lot of social dancing. So I wrote a I had a blog. It's still out there. Um, I'm known around the world as the unlikely solcero, which is uh my my hobby. Uh, and it's because I'm an older white guy. Uh, nobody expects that I can dance salsa, Salsa, right? Yeah, that's it's, great. I don't have the look, all right. Nobody looks at me <laughs> and goes, ah, that guy's a dancer. Yeah, And I'm not even great at it as a dancer, although I'm extremely competent with the music aspects of it and the musicality parts of it. But, mm. uh, so I started teaching with the, the person who was, a, a you know, I started teaching with another person I was taking private lessons with because they recognized, Oh, he, he can't dance well, but man, he actually teaches pretty well. <laughs> and, uh, so I ended up writing a book on uh, social dancing. Uh, I wrote three, I have three books out on Amazon, um, you know, called uh, social dance success. And, um, and so somebody asked me, Hey, would you do them in audio? I don't want to read them. And get, oh, I get, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so because of this person asking me to take my books, which he could get them in ebook format or he could get the print stuff and he wanted them in audio. That started me on this quest of, okay, how would I do that? And the funniest thing is my wife and I got busy and then my wife has a theater background. So she became the number one narrator. I'm, I feel like I'm a hack at as a narrator or a voiceover person. She's excellent at it. And so she became our primary voice and I've, I've been a, the tech guy behind the scenes, you know, like, uh, I always think of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, the man behind the curtain. So that, that ends up being me.
0: So when, and, when was this that you recorded your own books in audio? Well,
1: here's the funny thing. That was my intent. And what happened was I started researching, found ACX early on, and I told my wife about it. And she was – our kids were just getting to that age where she was starting to say, hey, you know, I might – I may go ahead and, and start tutoring. She was tutoring on the side because she had, she had uh, homeschooled all our kids mm-hmm. all the way through till college and five of them. And she's very good at that. And, uh, but she was saying, okay, well she was doing some tutoring. but Hey, this, uh, my, th-, with her theater background, I started saying, Hey, look at these audiobooks. People are doing this. And she said, Oh, I, that sounds like fun. And I'm um, course, today. I go, Hey, that, that's work. Yeah. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but it sounded like fun, but it also sounded to her like something that when you combined her acting skills with my technical skills that we probably would do pretty well. We kind of looked at it and said, gee, between the two, you know, I'm a third of a person and she's two thirds of a person in this thing or more fit. And, uh, I'll bet between the two of us, if you voice stuff, you can use all your character stuff and singing. She's got a voice degree from university of Michigan and she's a great singer and she's a, she's a really good actress. So therefore we could put that together into something that, that would work. And so it, uh, my, doing my books, which was the Genesis of this whole thing became a back burner project. And we got so busy. It never happened, Hmm. <clears throat> but it is actually happening this year.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. So you're finally going to get your books in audio.
1: I am. And part of it is that, um, you know, you, you'll know this and, and, but listeners might not, I do a lot of coaching. I teach a lot of people mm-hmm. how to produce audiobooks. And, um, but I also take, I I've always loved this dual role in life, I guess probably because my drum teacher had me teaching. And then at the same time I was taking sessions from him and other people. And he was always encouraging me, Hey, don't just study with me. Your, your goal is to find three mentors. One of the rules, you know, that I, if I'm talking to somebody, I say, Hey, don't, don't just depend on me. I'm good for this part of it. But you're gonna ultimately, most of us will accumulate over time three really strong mentors if we're if we're gonna maximize our potential. And uh, so I'm studying with somebody who's famous and we'll just say he uh, specializes in nonfiction. So if you know, who Sean is. I'll just use his first name there. I'm I've, I've heard session. of a Sean. I'm
0: not <laughs> yeah. sure which anyway. one that is, but yes. I, I've heard of a Sean that works yes. in nonfiction. Yeah. Yes. So anyway,
1: <laughs> so, so in him and I agreed, okay, this is really dumb. I've got this raw materials. I wrote it. Um, it's about social dancing and making the most of it when you're a little bit older, when you're not maybe the best dancer in the room, which is always me. Um, but I learned how to social dance and how to, make that all work when I'm not the best at it. It was always a hobby for me and uh, I've had a lot of success at it, but in you know, a kind of coming at it from backwards, everyone else is a good dancer. And I came into it and said, I'm not a great dancer. How, how else can you succeed at this?
0: Sure. So, yeah.
1: So now this year with Sean's help, I'll, uh, we're, we're going to do, I'm going to actually produce it.
0: <laughs> That's great. So you're going to produce it and you're going to narrate it too.
1: I am going to narrate it for, you know, and I have done, I have, I'm embarrassed. Uh, uh Anyways, I've always thought of myself because I've been around world-class musicians, and my wife is such so strong. And then I have an adult son, who um, in the voiceover world, he's done north of. Uh, we counted him last time. I said, "How many commercials have you done?" And he said, "Man, we went through and counted." And he's done over four thousand live commercials. Wow. He's uh, he's in his eighth year of broadcasting for the mi- in minor league baseball um during spring training he does play by play for the Oakland Athletics for the last 5 years and and he's on you know major league baseball.com he's doing play by play during spring training he's uh he the Kansas City Royals their AAA team he's one of their play by play guys and if he decides to he's at that point now he's been doing it he'll have a major league team over the next couple years and I'll get to say yeah my son's the voice of I don't know Milwaukee or Yeah,
0: that's great. The,
1: Montreal. I don't know. Who knows? You know, he could whatever, but he's at that level. And in so doing, we figured out that, all right, each game he has, uh, 10 commercials that he has to read live on the air. And then he's recorded thousands of them because if you're the broadcaster for a baseball team, then what happens is the sponsors say, Hey, uh, we want the voice that's doing that to be our, our, so he's just ended up doing, he's getting close. Uh, we, we, It's almost embarrassing. He's closing in on 10,000, uh, commercial type things where it's a combination of at least over 5,000 live ones where he's just reading the copy live. And then now he's getting close to 5,000 recorded ones as well. So, and on both him and my wife, they're Mm non-technical. Um, they don't, I don't want to say they don't care. Uh, They're both professionals to the point where they'll say, Hey dad, anything that I should, my wife does not call me dad. Uh, (laughs) Um, but They will learn anything that I kind of say to them, this is really important and and would help you. Uh, They trust me enough to do that. But anything else, you know, my son's kind of like, hey, you set up the templates for me.
0: Sure. Uh, It's it's not what they want to focus on. And I think that that is uh, very common in the acting professions, whether it's voiceover or, um, you know, on stage or whatever it is. Uh, I think that it's very common. And I think that that is exactly the reason why a lot of people suggest, look, If this isn't something that you want to, if if it is something that you want to concentrate on, great, learn it. It's a good skill to have. If it's not, then really don't try to be something that you're not and outsource.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the the thing is the software has gotten so sophisticated these days that um, it's kind of like a word processor. You know, I'm embarrassed, but I'm I'm a little bit dyslexic. And so I would never write messages uh, handwrite. I don't handwrite. Because what will happen is I'll get tripped up over a simple word, like the word maybe today. So I'm writing something, Hey, you know, I need to see you today. And the word today, I'll look at it and I'll spell it like backwards or something. And I can look at it and go, wow, I know that is wrong, but I don't know what the, I mean, I can get confused on a single word. So anyway, Mm -hmm. when I got a word processor, all of a sudden it spell checks. It puts this little squiggly line underneath it. And it's like, yeah, I know that's wrong. Do I know what the right one is? Let me look. I right click and it gives me four suggestions. Oh, I recognize the right ones. And so a spell checker and software a word processor gave me a whole new life of writing. I do. I ended up writing a big blog and I've, I've written hundreds of articles, but without a word processor, I could not do it because I just couldn't write without being so embarrassed by the lack of being able to have some words, I mean, I can tell they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I could do them. So I would outsource all my editing. The reason I'm married to my wife, partially, is in college, she would edit my papers.
0: Oh, (laughs) good way to meet somebody. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I think it's the same thing, though, for an audiobook narrator. Um, Learning some about the tech side is helpful. Absolutely. But you want to figure out, you need to figure out the balance there. And I let the word processors do their job of telling me and my son and my wife both they're experts at using the templates they're experts at running batch processes and and letting the software do the grunt work the 90% and then they both can listen to and they actually are both pretty good with rx after doing thousands of them they're way above average but uh, they you know they just don't hey i do it i mean right
0: not not something they want to focus
1: on no nah, that's just they'll do it if i'm busy okay so that's about
0: so Great. how did, how did you get into uh Studio One specifically? I know that you've used well well what other DAWs have you used? I know that I, you've used quite a few, but I know that you are really a Studio One expert at this point.
1: Yeah, it's, that's that one's the one I'm most passionate about. Um I'm pretty danger because I had some software development in my background, I tend to learn software. You know, I don't want to say quickly, but certainly faster than most. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, I always like knowing what what the other ones are doing. So I had a period where I used Pro Tools a lot. I had a period where I've studied Reaper. Um, I've, I Audacity, my adult son had done something in Audacity. I didn't even know what Audacity was, by the way, at one point <laughs> back about, about seven years ago. And But my adult son was doing some project for his broadcasting, and he had recorded it all in Audacity. And he's... The, 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 it was either I learned his software or he learned mine. And I just said, oh, I bet I could learn that. So I, I picked up audacity and spent a couple of years helping him with some stuff in audacity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to keep up cause people are always asking me, how would you compare studio one with uh, ocean audio or, mm-hmm. or Reaper or whatever? Um, and I'd like to, you know, not be ignorant. And so I do right. study the other ones and I do say, ah, I steal good ideas from all these other ones. But Studio One's kind of my passion. And a couple of being an ex-musician, I recognize that their sound quality one is outstanding. And everybody has this thing, well, they all sound the same when you record them. And it's like, yes. I've actually done a comparison to compare, say, Audacity with Studio One or Audacity and Reaper. And if you export a WAV file immediately after recording it, they are literally identical. Mm-hmm. And so that quality is great. But the instant you apply a single effect to any of that audio, so you run even Amplify, that's pretty minimal. But if you run an EQ, if you run a limiter, if you run a compressor, if you run... Once you run any effect, then there's big differences between all the DAWs. Interesting. So, um, it's not in the recording. In the recording first level, they all record a wave file at the same level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally have compared... so. I haven't tried every one of those, but I've done Reaper, Aud- uh, Audacity, and Studio One and recorded the same thing, took the same file. I had multiple mics because of my setup and my background. I was able to record. You can record in Audacity and Studio One at the same time, by the way. If sure, you ever...
0: yeah, depending on your interface and you yeah. know, your microphones it... and whatnot. Yeah, that makes sense. So
1: I, I just routed them and I just said right, I want to get the same input into both at the same time. And I set that up to do that and then I compared them. I literally went in, compared their file size, looked at them. I have some good analysis tools because it's Studio 1 and RX are the two passions that I have. So so this, so the output quality and the quality of their um, you know their effects was huge. But then I wanted to look at uh, what about automation and uh, because I do have a little bit of a programming background. I have a lot. I' did that in my 30s quite a bit. I made a living. As a programmer and and tech guy, Mm -hmm. Um, but can you automate some of this stuff? And Studio One has a great macro interface, which allows you to put in shortcuts. They do a great job with that. And I wanted to make sure I I was an early adopter of Excel back when Lotus One Two Three was all the rage.
0: I remember Lotus One Two Three. Yeah, so you know (laughs) I used Lotus One Two Three on a DOS machine, so that gives you a little little indication of my age. Well, okay,
1: so when so i think studio 1 when i started it was kind of like the excel in the early days where excel was a superior product to lotus but lotus was the one that had been around for a long time sure. and so it was the standard and everybody used it and i went up, anyway studio 1 the interface development team is awesome and the reason i like that is well so if my wife doesn't understand you know how to do something when she learns how to do one thing they're really insanely consistent with their interface, and therefore you have what I call leveraged learning. And if you learn, for example, if you're on a PC and you control-click on a control, it will revert back to its default setting. And mm. that happens about like 400 places that occurs. That you can so so you may not know that you can do control or command-click and get a, a fader back to its original spot, or a knob back to its original, or audio back to its original. So. You know, nobody knows that. But once you learn that one thing, you can apply it in about, and probably 400 is an exaggeration. But I'm sure you'd find 30 places easily Mm -hmm. that that same thing is used. And so each time you learn something, you can leverage it into multiple places. And they do an awesome job with that. And ultimately, I mean, I started with it for the punch and roll because they, uh, the way they do it and the details, you know, the details matter. They do it as well as anybody, any place, uh, they're in many ways superior and the other ones will catch up everybody leapfrog. So there isn't only one way to think, but, uh, there, I started with the punch and roll and how well that was done. And then my biggest thing is I'm trying to get time back. I'm at that stage in life where I don't only want residual income. I'm a big residual income fan, but I want residual time. So I'm willing to learn something even if it takes me a little longer the first time to learn something. So assuming it's not ridiculous, I don't want to take four years to learn something. Right. Uh, Right. But, but if you tell me it took me four weeks to learn something or four days and then in another product, I could learn it in two days or a day or the first time I come in it's intuitive and I get it the first day. That's great. And I think that's the goal, but I'll spend the four days or four weeks if every month after that I can get some time back. And uh, Studio One is brilliant in terms of allowing you to have templates that have so many things pre-set up so that when when my wife walks in to record, basically she has about 30 seconds of getting her DAW up and in place and ready to go. And But behind the scenes, there's about 30 different settings that are all already set up. I know she's going to be exporting, depending on which template she chooses, it's going to be a voiceover, it's going to be for ACX, and it's all pre-programmed for her and that's really you know in my mind long term a huge competitive advantage sure and yeah. i to be honest with you one of the things that i kind of look at all the software i use i'm trying to have better quality audio than you mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's you is you know than everybody else
0: right now i teach each right.
1: other so it's not like some secret like you know anybody can do this but the point is how are you going to have stuff that is uh, at least comparable with the best? Mm-hmm. Because everybody is upping their game over time. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there are a flood of people moving into audiobooks, voiceover, uh, anything related to this. Every If you go to the store and you say, yeah, I'm doing voiceovers, what does the cashier say to you? So am I. So am I. <laughs> and, oh, that sounds like fun. How do I get started? Yep. And everybody and the, I see the numbers in the ACX group. You know, I mean, you know this. I'm, I'm sure. one of the admin there.
0: Yeah, and ab- the, the number,
1: the number of people asking to join that group astounds me. Just the numbers of new people, and I see their, you know, when they ask to join, I see their stuff, and they go, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm checking it out. I, I, I do this, I do that, and I just, it always sounded like fun to me. And I just think these numbers are going to continue to grow because the tech and computers have gotten easier and cheaper. Yep. And they think they can just do it in their bedroom. They think they can do it any place, and some of them will be able to. But if they don't get their act together, a small percentage of those people will do the right stuff to be hyper competitive, to have higher quality, and they'll be having to compete with them. Yep. So yeah. I, I'm looking for competitive advantage.
0: I totally hear you on all of that. Um, I I think that that's very true. Seems like daily there are. Um, posts. Thanks for, you know, adding this is, I just booked my first audiobook, Um, and I think you're right. I think it's a small percentage of people who will go beyond doing a royalty share project in addition to their day job. Um, because it's difficult to break past that into the per finished hour and with publishers and, and everything else that goes with it. But of course, when you're doing that, you want to be at the highest level possible.
1: Yeah. And because the numbers are so vast in the beginner level, um, people joining us basically who are going, gosh, you know, I like rich, boy, I want to do what rich does. You know, he's, he's, I like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the numbers are so high that when a small percentage sticks with it, which will, that's normal in every business. Right. Um, those, that's still a big number of people that will, could be competing with us say two years from now. Right. I mean, right Right. now, if they're just starting out, none of us are going to go, Oh, I'm worried about Don. Nobody's, nobody's worried about them losing their job to me being a narrator. Right. Right. They're going to go, whatever. (laughs) Okay. Now what we do know, if you're a musician is if I were to practice enough this would take me a lot, but if I were to practice enough, I could be an excellent narrator, but I have to put, pay my dues. I have to put in the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I do see there's enough people coming in the beginning funnel that the percentage of those in a couple years that will be strong is going to just a flood of people. Yeah. And it's uh, not just the ACX group. There's all the voiceover groups. It's crazy. Oh, and it's yeah, going to get perf- a ton of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's new groups popping up all the time and people training on it. And coaches that I don't always think that everyone should pay attention to them, but whatever.
0: Yep. No, I, I hear you. And I certainly don't want to say anything negative about anybody in particular, but that is definitely true. And I think that it's also true in other businesses. Yes. What I I keep going back to is this is a business, treat it like a business. And in every field, you're going to have people that you can trust to count on as somebody to help you you're going to have people that you can trust to go to and they're going to give you good advice Absolutely, in, in every field. You've got people who you can't trust. And the whole reason that they're there is to take your money, even though they yep. don't really have anything of value to offer. So in, in every business, it's the same. You have to do yep. your homework. You have to figure out who you can deal with. You have to figure out who to trust. And then right. you work with a, a trusted group. So I, I, I hear you on that. So, yeah. uh, so, so, when it comes to audiobook production, do you have an overarching philosophy of any kind?
1: Yeah, well, I, um, I certainly am opinionated about it. How's that?
0: <laughs> That's okay. great. What's your I'm opinion, not shy Don? About it. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, anyway, first off, there's many paths to success. I've 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 gone through. I've, I know musicians who did it all quote backward and all in their closet, and they did it all by themselves, and they didn't get any edgy, quote formal education. And they still turned out really well. So you can do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody can, but usually I see the people that are succeeding in a reasonable amount of time and are making the most of it. Those people are, are what you just said. I always say you should get an outside set of ears to help you master the process. Now I'll get accused of being self-serving in that. The problem is, is that in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know in terms of hearing and you being a musician, piano player, you have great ears but if somebody hasn't had some sort of music training or singing training and uh, singers and musicians are the same thing singers are musicians but i was just loved, a different
0: instrument <laughs>
1: yes i love giving my singer friends a hassle about the singers and the musicians and even though they're <laughs> fun of the same but right. the big the bigger picture is that it's later a year from now somebody starting out is going to go wow i can't believe how i don't want to say bad but we'll just use that word I don't know how immature my initial productions were and how much like mouth noise, how much background noise, how much I was off mic, how much, how many things that they just can't hear in the beginning because they don't have the ears to hear it and they'll get much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they want to advance quickly, then they're going to take advantage of some people that have the tools already. And I always think, you know, I wear reading glasses. I didn't know I needed reading glasses until one day I put them on and go, wow, the world is not so blurry. (laughs) And I didn't know what I was missing because they slowly had gotten, you know, we'll just say just okay over the years. And the first time you get to reading glasses, you go amazing. The world is clear. And it's the same with hearing. They'll hear things. And then probably another thing is the, the young, the less mature people sometimes are trying to sound natural. and, I just don't, I mean, I, I know what they're trying to say. I, I realize they don't know how to express it, but it's more about sounding unprocessed and engaging mm-hmm. and natural, natural has almost nothing to do with it. Nobody wants to hear my voice and it's quote natural form. And I always just joke around and go, well, okay, natural, uh, cyanide is natural. Right. Try that <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, mushrooms and a hundred other things are natural out there that, if consumed inappropriately, they're going to kill us. But that's a, that's a, you know, little extreme. But if, I, if I'm going to go on to a television show or the, some a movie set, and they're going to have these lights on me in order to look natural, even as a guy, they're going to put makeup on me. Yep. Now, do they want me to look like a clown? Well, some think I do anyway without the makeup, but that's a <laughs> side discussion. It's just, the thing is, is that they will put makeup on a guy who doesn't normally wear any makeup so that under the lights, then they are going to look and and with the cameras, they're going to look natural, but they're anything but natural if you saw them without all the cameras. Well, in audio, it's a similar thing that we process, we do some compression, we do some EQ, we do some other things to our audio, and when it's done, nobody should know we were there. It just, it's just now you're acting and your engagement with the listener and the engagement is the biggest thing. And it should sound unprocessed. It should sound quote natural, but a lot of times it's like makeup. Yep. It's, you know, you need it and, you know, or, so it isn't about sounding natural. Um, it's about sounding unprocessed and engaging and the tech stuff needs to fade in the background. If you're doing it right, you're not worried about the tech stuff. My wife, she never thinks about it. She just, talks quote-unquote she acts and engages
0: that makes me think a lot i i like the makeup analogy because it makes me think a lot about acting and Mm -hmm. you always want to when you're on stage you want to you want to be believable and so so a lot of times people say well it, it has to be natural well to get to something that an audience member is seeing as natural you may be right. doing something that is very unnatural for you to be right. doing or saying in however right. you're doing it or saying it the goal is not to actually be completely natural in what you're doing the the goal is to appear to be natural to whoever the audience <laughs> is and and so, i i think that's very true with with makeup with acting with with audiobooks with uh, commercial vo uh yeah. I, I see yeah. that a lot. You know, the big thing these days, and it has been for quite some time, is the conversational read. And right. and I get that, and it needs to be conversational. And I am by no means a master of this, but I think that it's it's always interesting that it needs to be a conversational read. But like you were saying before, you know, if Don was doing this or if Don was doing that, if I'm just having a conversation with somebody, that's actually not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is their Their impression of what I would sound like if I was doing that. Yeah, it's a whole different animal. It is. There's like this other layer, and I I think that a lot of people don't don't quite get that. And like I said, I'm I'm no master of this, but I get the concept.
1: Listen, if it was truly being natural, I would have been a great narrator a long time ago. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I wouldn't have to take sessions or lessons, or I wouldn't even nobody would. Yep. So to sound quote natural. I do understand that's, you know, I just don't think it's the right word. And, uh, Mm -hmm. too many people miss the boat on that. And you see it all over life. I mean, I, you know, most, most women are wearing makeup, but they don't want to look like they wear makeup. They, people get braces. They do all these things so that you just kind of, when it's all done right, nobody notices if I'm made up, if I have hair color, if if you know, I'm old enough that I have hair color. Okay. I'd be. I'm, I'm Santa Claus snow white. If you see me.
0: Uh,
1: and even if you go back in my Facebook far enough, you'll see me a hundred percent white. Cause my grandfather was gray at age 35 Yeah, and I, I followed right in his footsteps. Yeah, so
0: me too. I, but, I think that I got my first grade here when I was 17. I thought, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I could go ahead and go
1: totally white and that's cool. And there's a lot of guys that do it and they wear it well and love them. You know, love you, man. I mean, great. Um, I look older. And so I do some color, I still have some gray and under the lights I notice under lights, my gray really comes out every time I do a video and it's like, wow, you look great. And I look in the mirror and just in the mirror, I don't look as gray in person as I do under the lights when I'm doing a video. So all the audio needs to be that kind of thing where whatever needs to be done and there is some good processing that you can do. Um, at the end of the day, it should not sound like there has been any processing, but there's a bunch of little details in the middle of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. That so- sounds like a good overall philosophy there. So uh, there are a lot of people who are listening who are narrators, who are <laughs> self-recording. They're not going into a studio. They don't have a director. Um, what's your advice to anybody who is, going, who is doing that kind of thing? Sitting in the closet, recording their book, self-recording? all, you know, responsible for all aspects?
1: Well, yeah. Olympic athletes have coaches. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Professional athletes have coaches. And I don't know if you've seen some of these coaches, but these coaches, if you watch football, baseball, whatever, some of these, at least I'll just pick on the guys. Some of them couldn't run 15 feet without passing out and having a heart attack. And you can tell they're not exactly in good shape. Mm -hmm. Um, So get outside advice. It really comes down to, I'm really not equipped in the beginning to self-evaluate if you want to succeed in a shorter period of time. And then on the other hand, don't let anybody stop you from doing this thing. You just have to do a lot of it and expect that you're going to have a lot of hours of doing things and be comfortable with you're going to redo some things. Sometimes Uh, I can't tell you in the beginning stage where we would record something and by the time we got to chapter 10. We actually had a, you know, my wife like like the character she was doing and the way she's delivering, and and then we go, wow, chapter one really is kind of terrible compared to chapter ten because now we've <laughs> got it all dialed in, and so we would go back a lot of our early books, we would go back and re-record chapter one because we kind of said, wow, if they if they don't get engaged with chapter one, they'll never get to chapter 10 where they might be a little impressed with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it's okay. You just end up going back and going back. And then if you want to accelerate your growth, you got to probably find a coach that's helping you with the performance aspect of it. Cause that's number one. Many people are these days finding a coach that helps them do their basic setup for the engineering part in the early stages. You can take that all over, uh, and you don't need years of audio engineering, but certainly, You're either going to study for six to 12 months on your own, or you're going to get somebody else to help with that. Or you're going to turn around a year from now and go, well, that wasn't quite as good as I thought it was because there's no way to know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So find some people and find some people and not just, uh, not just the loudest voice in some of the Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the, some, some of the louder voices are not, there's an exception. There's some loud voices that are awesome. But there's also some very loud voices that are very immature in terms of both performance and tech. And they give a lot of advice with great authority. And uh, so be careful who you listen to, I guess, would be the takeaway for that.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I hear you on that. I've, I've worked with a few coaches, and uh, it's, it's always been a positive experience. And, uh, and I always highly recommend that. When, when people come in and they're you know brand new and they say, well, what about this? How do I do that? There are a lot of people, myself included, who say, you know what, you really need to work with a coach. And, I, you know, when I say that, I don't mean you have to work with somebody once a week for the next year to be able right. to do what you're trying to do. It might only right. take a few sessions. Maybe you're right. a quick study. Maybe right. you learn something from this person. Maybe you go to another coach because that one didn't work out right after one yep. or two sessions and you learn something else from that person. It could be that after a month, you're like, you know, 100% better yep. than you were when you started, but get some, I, I'm I'm just echoing your sentiment of get yep. get an outside pair of ears. I, I think that's well, always a good idea.
1: And I wish it was like me that had thought of that, but my, you know, my initial drum teacher, I remember him saying to me over time, you're going to find three mentors for this or I anything love that. else. I, I love that. I got to.
0: I got to think about that.
1: And so over the years when I learned to dance, so if you take, so if you take sessions from one person and only copy them, you become a clone of them. And that's not really a great thing. It's, it's good in the beginning, but, uh, and you do want to clone somebody, find somebody really good and mimic them the best you can in the beginning if you find three really good people, then your own voice is going to come through there with that combination and become you. Mm-hmm. And ultimately you do want to become you, but in the short term, you know, I'm a monkey to begin with on any skill, whether it's woodworking, I'm building panels for my studio behind me so that I, so that it looks better. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going online watching YouTube videos on how people are doing carpentry and stuff. And, I could I could afford to hire that out. I just I like working with my hands and doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what am I gonna do? I'm trying to find good resources to learn from rather than and there's this corner clamp and it's like, Oh, shoot, for twenty bucks I could buy that thing and it would make my life easier. Wow. I went this morning <laughs> to Home Depot at seven AM and bought this corner clamp because I thought that's a cool thing. <laughs> well, I don't know how many months or I mean, you know, I don't know how many things I would have done on my own without finding someone to get some information from And I'm not trying to make my living doing that kind of thing. So I don't need to be quite as, uh, obnoxious about finding a good resource, but for anything that I'm doing where I want to earn and, and provide for my family, those things, I think go find the pros if you can. And if you can't learn as much as you can, YouTube is a killer resource. My only pushback on that is it's also a lot of rubbish. Uh, it's both ends.
0: A lot of noise. Yeah.
1: A lot of noise. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, so, right. so you can get great information, but you also can get the total opposite information and some really bad information all at the same
0: time. Yeah. Um, I, I love that three mentor thing. I got to think about that and, and how that fits into the experiences that I've already had and, um, mm-hmm. see who else is going to be in that group. But I definitely have a couple of candidates in my mind for, uh, the people who have been the most helpful in, uh, yep. in my acting journey over the years. Um, well, and
1: as an acting, so as an actor, as you're doing this, and you look back, somebody was your primary, and most of us have a secondary and a third one. And then, I mean, you may have to go through six or eight over a couple years or a period to find the three that you stick with or that you always cycle back once a year and go, hey, check this out. You know, I'm going to pay you for one session and have you tune what I'm doing. And is it still on point? Um, People that do that really grow faster than all the people around them. It's just, it's a, a great way to grow quickly is find your mentors. And unfortunately, sometimes you do have to pay them. Well, here's the problem though. So people send me something They say, will you evaluate this? And I think, oh, I don't want to tell them it's bad. I mean, if it's great, it's easy. You go, yeah, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing. Cool. But if it's really not very good and they're not one of my clients I'm, I i do not want to say, you know, I'd say, well, there's a few areas that are a little rough, but to really go into it, I don't want to tell them that. I mean, it's just, what's not, I'm not trying to be a critic of everybody. And I can, so I can
0: see that, but I got to say from being on the other side, if I were to mm-hmm. go to you or somebody in your position and say, tell me what you think I would absolutely want the, yeah. you know, the, uh, absolute well, honest truth.
1: Okay. But here's the thing. If I'm, if I'm, if, if you and I are working together, then I think it's my responsibility to be brutally honest. And that and and if you have a coach who's not, then in my mind you've got the wrong coach. Mm-hmm. They need to be. Now they need to do it with respect, because we're all adults here. Right. But they still right. need to be able to go, Don, you know, and you know, that that's not your best. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or that's not the best you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the ways that we can tune that. But if I go to you and I just say, Hey, what do you think? To put you in the position of being the critic, um, yeah, I I, hear you. It, it, and so in a Facebook group, if someone posts this, hey, can everybody give me feedback on this? I notice that a lot of the voices that respond are not the people that have the most experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people with the most experience kind of keep quiet. They may say a line or two, mm-hmm. but they. But I don't have time. To, I don't want to be you know, obnoxious. I just don't have time to sit and give them all the play-by-play of here's the six things that I thought you might've considered tuning. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and a lot, I know a couple of my, you know, high tech friends also the same way they go. I'm so I, I don't have time. And I don't want to be in a position where I'm the critic. I want to encourage people to do well, and I want to encourage them to keep going. And since they're not really going to study with me necessarily, um, until they are, I usually keep quiet. Now, if they put up something it's great, I'd love going, Hey, fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing? You know, I don't mind that. That's great. I don't want to be the bad guy. I'm not, that's not my position. If you ask my opinion directly, okay, that's one thing. But if you crowdsource things, then I don't want to be the one negative voice in the crowd. Unless somebody says something that's just driving me crazy, then I'll at least make some comment.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I I guess I'm a little more likely to be the negative voice in the crowd. Um, and, and that, that can be, uh, problematic. So I, I hear you.
1: There's that balance and trying to find, you know, how do you encourage people, um, and yet, you know, tell them the truth, but some of them don't want to hear it. Um, Mm -hmm. My wife, they think
0: they do, but they don't.
1: Well, they put it up there sometimes. Now, unfortunately, I put it up there thinking, "Hey, this is really good." And boy, when Rich hears me narrate, he's going to go, "Wow, Don, you are amazing! (laughs) How did you do that?" And then, then you listen to it and you think, well, okay, here's the 16th. Now, nah, well, you know, I love the way you delivered the first line, which was your name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and then you leave out everything else because you just, unless you know me, what if I take it wrong? Right. It's, it's what if, difficult. Yeah. So anyways, it's hard to get good advice. I'm not saying you can't get some good advice, but then it'll be drowned out by people who, uh, sometimes the first three people go, wow, that sounded great. And then I listen to it and stuff in the background. I hear their dog barking. <laughs> um, and I think, God, four people just said, you sound great. It Go with it. Do I want to be number five that comes in and says, um, okay. So it really just depends on the circumstance. A lot of times we just let it go. Okay? Yeah. So just be careful who the, the takeaway, be careful who you listen to. Um, if you go ahead and get a few, if you just even one or two with some people who are really experienced, you'll do a lot better a lot faster there are exceptions to everything and you know you can make things work so I'm a I'm since I grew up poor I've learned how to hack almost everything and and uh, bootstrap and I love that kind of thing so don't take it that you can't but you're creating work for yourself and you're creating a situation where you'll get to relearn something later because it's easier to learn it right the first time mm-hmm. okay that's yeah. that is one of my philosophies about this stuff
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Um, so for those narrators out there who are not only narrating in their closet and they're no director, no producer, they're just narrating their material. And then after that, they're, Mm -hmm. they're planning on proofing, editing, mastering, doing everything themselves. What kind of advice do you have there?
1: Uh, do that the shortest amount of time you can. I mean, if it's getting, if you're still getting work and you're still in that stage where you're learning and you want to do that, great. But um, if you continue to do it all on your own, it just takes you a lot longer. So if you have more time than you have resources, other resources, go for it. I mean, don't stop doing it. Not that they would anyway, if I tell them, but (laughs) I'm fine with that. So bootstrap where you have to, but save your pennies and figure out how you can get somebody to assist because... The best records in the world that have come out over over time have always had a producer. Quincy Jones made Michael Jackson in the early stages because he could see some things. And they work together as a team. So I, Olympic athletes, the same way. If The best Olympic athletes have great coaches. The best sports teams have great coaches. And you're just going to get further. Uh, but if you are doing it all yourself, do as much of it as you can as fast as you can. And as soon as you can, then... Get somebody on board to assist with everything that you can. I mean, the sooner you do it, the sooner you can get to a point where you're making money at this business and find some people that have some business sense as well, because it's not just about, uh, you know, I don't need perfect audio. I need perfect. I need as good enough audio for the stage where I'm at today, knowing that I want to get the next book out and learn and get better with the next book. So Mm -hmm. some of this is volume. I can't be a great piano player by just practicing it all in my head. I got to go out and perform. I've got to do a certain amount of it and then fine-tune, 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 fine-tune. Just that never stops.
0: Yeah. And and you. one of the things that you do in addition to producing audiobooks with your wife is you do coaching on the technical side, right?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, every day of the week, pretty much, I think I might take off one day a week usually, but I'm coaching, you know, two to four people on the tech aspects of producing audiobooks and voiceover and there seems there's a lot of crossover with that. I mean, you, you'd be amazed how many narrators are also doing some voiceover work or voiceover people are now starting to take on audiobooks. There's tremendous crossover and I just happen to do both. So I help them set it up, help them get all their settings in place so that they don't have to think about it and they can have, they can hit ACX specs or they can do something that's going to be very competitive for voiceover. One of those two things.
0: Sounds great. Um, is this really all you're doing at this point? Because I know that you said you've had multiple careers over your life, which is not all that yeah. uncommon these days. But at this point, it sounds like audiobooks, and uh, I guess more specifically the technical side of voiceover, including audiobooks. It, it sounds like this is really what you're doing. Is this pretty much your job at yeah. this point?
1: All we do, all we do here, is deal with audio. Meaning either we're producing uh, or we're coaching others to do it. That's all we do. I mean. It's my whole family, my adult son, sure. my wife and myself. And then I now have my college uh, daughter who's dabbling in voiceover and um, she's earning some of her college money, which is uh, as a dad is kind of like, hey, that's, that's fantastic. Cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: that, that must be great. <laughs> and she has a millennial voice and I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, I don't think I would put her in that spot. But there's a whole market out there for those young voices and it's like, okay. I'll just help her with the technical stuff. And I started, set her up on the templates. I got her RX processes working so that she sounds clean. And then they either like her voice or they don't, but they're not going, wow, she sound her, her technical stuff. They don't even think about her technical stuff. They just right. go, okay. I, and then now it's, do they like her voice or do they not? So she wins her share of them because she's the right voice in their head. They think that's the right way to voice it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if she's not right for it, okay. It wasn't because. You know, her tech stuff. Now, to be honest with you, both my wife, my daughter, probably my son would not do voiceover without having me. I don't mean to act like I was the, But if they they're not, they don't like the tech part of it. I don't know. They would have stuck with it enough to really make it pay off. Yeah, this no, is all I, we do these days. I totally know?
0: understand that. It, it doesn't yeah. come, ac- it, you don't come across as sounding like, well, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be doing this. No. because they, But but the fact is that you are a resource that was built in for them and that made right. it a lot easier for them. And they said, hey, this is great. So, yeah. yeah well, it, 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 they
1: love doing the voicing part of it. And yeah. they did like now today. Uh, my son, I, when I remember when he started voiceover. I'll bet I, I mastered and produced his first 400 voiceovers that he did he would send them to me. We had a Google drive and I, it would come to me and he'd go up yep, here. I've got two today and whatever. And I would just master them for him, send them back and he'd get, you know, broadcast ready stuff and he could send it out to his client. And I was like, they're, they're going, wow, you're amazing.
0: That's great. And,
1: <laughs> but, but we had the experience. Okay. We weren't sure. beginners at that. And the same with my wife. She just never knew in the beginning. She just, Hey, you, you, you record it. And it shows up on my Google spreadsheet as it's done. And we have the, we're all networked together and I pull it off the drive. And do my part and it's done. And I set up other people so that they don't have to be a brain surgeon in the beginning with the technical stuff, unless they want to be, mm-hmm. if they want to, I'll teach them how that stuff works as well. So, um, is there some synergy there? And just like my family has had me, I do that for, uh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I'm getting close to a thousand people that I've helped set up, uh, with, wow. with all the, you know, whether it's voiceover, audio books, um, and, you know, it's all a blur. It's embarrassing because if I've only interacted with somebody once, maybe on a video conference for a half hour, and then if I don't talk to them for three months and they call me up again, it's like, ooh. Who are you again? Well, I know them from Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And then they go, well, we did this video thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know, but I do like 15 of those a week. <laughs> and and we went, we worked an hour. And I don't mean to be rude, but I can't remember. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Arizona. He's, yeah, okay, sure, okay. Yeah. Now I got it. But I can, at least in the beginning, end up going, i sorry, I don't remember. I, I don't, I, but I do keep everything with Pack yeah. Rat, so I have it, it all
0: organized. It sounds like a good problem to have.
1: <laughs> I guess,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I, 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 I like, I love people and, um, and, I, I like knowing about people, and I like knowing about their background. And so do you do too. You're doing all these things, so
0: yeah, no, it's uh, great. And that's one of the things I love about this is finding yeah. out. I mean, the whole music connection—I had no idea. And yeah. and so finding out the background of all the people that I that I know, the right. people who I've met and who I plan to meet—it's uh, yep. I love it. I love yeah. love meeting yeah. people and getting to know about people. So if I'm coaching
1: somebody, one of the things that they have to put up with is the fact that I'm going to learn about their hobby. Uh, because I love analogies and I know that the best way to learn anything in life is to attach it to a piece of knowledge you already have. So we just talked about the makeup and how makeup would enhance us on camera Mm -hmm. and make us look natural. It's trying to find the right things that somebody already can relate to when they learn something new technically and putting those together. And it's kind of something that I've spent my whole adult life because of my instructor teaching me this whole concept of chunking and how people learn and he was a master in teaching and learning and he kind of instilled in me a little sense of how do we help people learn faster and how do you help them retain things so you know so you, you already know this in studio one i have an area that i call the peekaboo area and the peekaboo area people go what well it's stupid but once they know that this particular area is called the peekaboo area and why i call it the peekaboo area they remember it. Okay. It's mm-hmm. so dumb that they remember it. And I have stupid names for a lot of things that I can't find what the official name is because that's the way you learn is to attach it to something you already know and you can learn things a lot faster that way. Nothing's yeah.
0: I, I like open. that. It sounds like a great thing as you're getting to know somebody, find out what they are interested in yep. and then associate what they're the new thing that they're learning with something that they're already familiar with. That's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if, if, if they like cooking, Then I know how to make pizzas. I'm not great at it. No one's coming over my house to eat my pizzas, but I'm still, (laughs) it's still one of those things that I kind of like pizzas. And for some reason I like making my own pizza dough and stuff like that. So I know just enough to be dangerous about making food, you know, and therefore if that's their thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's kind of like measuring cups and you have this one, this tool does this one, this one, you know, and you, oh, you can get a food processor. Well, this is like the food processor for audio.
0: And that's going to make a lot of sense to them because they they like that. Yeah. And if they're a
1: skier, then we talk about skiing and then if they're whatever. So that's, that's in my mind, that's, if you know a little bit about some of these things, then you can make the learning process simpler. That's very cool.
0: That's, uh, that's great. That's well, well, Don, thank you so much. You know, the one thing that, that I haven't asked you yet is why is it that you are Don Barnes and your YouTube channel is the red <laughs> Barnes channel?
1: Well, because I don't know, someplace when I was younger, people ask, you know, they always say, Hey, what's your name? And, uh, I wanted something memorable. So I always just say, yeah, you know, Don Barnes, uh, just think of horses and cows and pasture and red Barnes. And oh, be- got it. because of All the, right. and, when I came out, uh, I had something for Excel, an add-in that came out with Excel, and was uh, and, and it was called the Barnes Utilities, because back in those days Norton Utilities was out. Uh, this is really early in the tech business. So oh, I remember of, Norton Utilities. Sounds, egotis- sounds egotistical, but I I knew I knew Mr. Norton. He lived here in L.A. and I'd met him, and I thought, oh, that's cool. When I do mine, I'm a well some artist early on, we were looking for a logo for that. And he says, well, I'm going to, I want to do a, a, a field with two barns in the field. And I go, ah, I could steal that. Okay. And people just remember <laughs> it's stupid enough that people remember it. When I say, yeah, horses and cows, you know, they go, oh, okay. And then they remember me. And that was just something that I adopted. And this guy started me on that when he did Red the painting of a couple of barns. So, that's so yeah, great. that's how that came around. And then You know, it's spelled funny, so they don't ever get that right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fine. I will do my best to spell it right in the show notes for this episode. (laughs) So, uh, Don, where where can people find you online?
1: Well, I'm on Facebook 24-7, it seems like. (laughs) Aren't Uh, we all? Yeah. So, of course, you can find me on Facebook, but the spelling's funny. So, look in the show notes for the two A's and no E. It should look like a typo when Rich gets it correct. Okay, (laughs) So, it'll look like... And then there's really only... Me and my sons, and so I'm easy to find on Facebook. And then Don Barnes at Gmail dot com is, is the other way that they can get me. All right, and uh, I'm I, I don't hide very well. I don't think.
0: So, uh, <laughs> and your YouTube channel is the Red Barnes YouTube. Yes, yeah, Red
1: Barnes Audio. I think it's it's Red definitely Barnes Red Audio. Barnes Audio. Okay. Okay. Yep. So all happy right. to see some of you there. So, I, I will I, put
0: that in there as well. This is great. Thanks right. so much for the time, John. Uh, Don, right. I, I, I appreciate you uh, coming in, having a drink. I hope the tea was good. My Gibson yes. is almost gone. Cool, cool. My tea is mostly gone too. I snuck
1: it in there when you weren't looking.
0: <laughs> as did I. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Don. Right. really appreciate it. You have a great night. Time. Thanks. We'll you talk
1: too. to you later. Good night.
0: Bye bye. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Don Barnes for stopping in. I really enjoyed hearing about his musical background and how his early days at Basement Sound laid the foundation for his later work as an audiobook engineering guru. And I hope you did too. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Special shout-out tonight to Surgeon Rider for posting a very nice review on Stitcher. I have to share a line from the review that I particularly love. Surgeon Rider wrote, The opening of each episode is a little hokey, but it succeeds in relaxing the listener very well. Personally, I prefer cheesy over hokey, but either way, I'm very glad that it's having exactly the effect it's intended to have, and truth be told, it succeeds in relaxing me as well. In any case, Surgeon Rider, I'm really glad you're getting loads of information from the podcast, and I thank you for the kind words. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. You donate per episode, but don't worry about breaking the bank if I decide to publish an episode a day. You can set a monthly maximum. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! (laughs)